Consider the following, and some of the results you will hardly believe. And welcome to the Teacher Turn Alchemist podcast. I'm Lydia, and several months ago, I left the classroom to become an entrepreneur and pursue a dream towards opening an inclusive kombucha taproom that I want to act as an unconventional classroom, providing employment and training to adults with disabilities. It's just me right now, but over time, I truly believe that this venture will definitely become a we as our mission of bringing health and jobs spreads in our community. This business is called Living Simple, Living Full Kombucha, where our motto is simply made full of opportunities. And you can visit us right now over at livingsimplelivingfull.com. I'd really encourage you guys to sign up for our email list to be the first to hear about any upcoming news regarding when we open and definitely how you want to get your hands on this kombucha. Speaking of the booch, I have in my hands a delicious blueberry rhubarb brew. Think tart meets tart. <laughs> I grew up loving anything acidic. Anybody else with me? Oh, I was a sucker for those like salt and vinegar chips. And often when I'm out at the store, I'm always grabbing things like pickled, like sauerkrauts or dressing, like red wine vinegars. And I'm a really big fan of loading up my pizza with like banana peppers and artichokes. Yum, so good. You know, it's been a little difficult thinking up new kombucha flavors because I know that oftentimes people aren't really attracted at all to some of those more tart or acidic flavors like I prefer when I go out and I get kombucha. It's not to say that there is a right or a wrong taste to kombucha, but our body's taste buds do have the ability to change and a little teaser into a future episode, but with changes in a diet, Often a food that we may have deemed as like really mild, like so for example, a date, when you eat it, it's now extra sweet and desired. And the flip-flop happens too. Like if you take out processed sugars, for example, like a lot of candy and you go back to eating candy after a while, that is overly sweet. And I've noticed a slight pattern when I talk with people and they are trying my kombucha for the first time or even just trying kombucha at all for the first time. I like to ask what they drink in general. What I have found is people who drink like sodas, energy drinks, lemonades, sweet teas, thinking more of the sweet stuff, they naturally go more for the sweet and mild kombucha. Whereas people who say that they stick more to a water, herbal teas, even coffee, seem to have a higher tolerance and even prefer some of my more tart or even spiced flavors. But again, I'll say that for a future episode because that is some sweet stuff coming at you, pun intended. <laughs> I wanted to check base with you all to share how I've been doing with some new routines that I put in place over the last several weeks. Back in episode seven, I discussed how I was feeling some extreme productivity guilt. I can't even say that. Some extreme productivity guilt. And I shared how often I would get caught up in what I was thinking I needed to get done. And then I really wouldn't do anything at all. And I set up some things for me to do each day to help me get out of the funk that you can check back on the episode if you're curious. But after a few weeks, I'm really starting to see some like fundamental changes in the right direction. So one of the biggest things that I've stuck to and I'm like freaking pumped to say that I have done a lot more is move my body which this is so nice for me and something I really have never done before. I always wanted to be that consistent workout person and get my workout in, but I really have never done that. <laughs> but I am happy to report that when I wake up, one of the first things I do is I get on my workout clothes and I wake up my body by moving it. I'm not trying to build muscles, track calories or whatever like that. I'm really just trying to wake up my body and get those endorphins pumping through me and do whatever sounds good that morning. 
So I've been going on YouTube and I've really enjoyed Pop Sugar Fitness. If you guys have ever heard of that before, they have like a ton of free workout routines that I pick from. So this morning I did what's called a Tabata, I think I'm saying that right, Tabata hip hop routine. I was feeling a little spicy and it was something that I've never done before, but I love the instructor and her moves making me like booty pop and move my hips. <laughs> oh man, I probably look completely ridiculous shaking around my living room, but I felt like I was turning it up in the club, you know, and I'm, I'm sure my husband probably would have appreciated and found it amusing to say the least. But most days I do like a high energy routine workout, but other days, especially like around my period, for example, I take it slow doing like light yoga or cardio which also feels just as nice. And after moving around my body, I have bundled up, it's fall now in in the Midwest, and I've been going outside to walk around the block. This time has been so transformational for me. I walk around the block, I look out over the water, and I feel that it's impossible to think negative thoughts during this time. That crisp fall air, like I said, it just wakes me up and it really centers me. And I come back, I make a nice breakfast, and by that time, I'm feeling like I'm ready to work. Now, there are some things that I still have not really mastered on the routine front, and one of those is getting ready. So since I already moved my body, I'm at least like getting out of my cat pajamas, which is a huge step for me, and I'm wearing some type of like sports bra. But after I get my breakfast ready, I've had my walk, I'm ready to get to work right away, usually in my workout gear. Now, before you give me any crap and like, ew, you must be sweaty and didn't like shower or anything like that. I shower at night before bed and that air, like, like I said, it's really, really kind of cold outside. It dries whatever sweat I had up. So I'm not really wanting to hop in the shower at that moment. And I prefer to jump into my workflow there but I have been really bad about like brushing my teeth oh no it's terrible but or like rearranging my hair screw the makeup I feel that I'm on strike from all the years that I taught like have to be up at like the butt crack of dawn you know what I'm talking about but overall I really feel like this routine and like sticking to it is really really helping me in, in regards to all of my productivity as well as my productivity guilt And I would encourage you that if you're in a slump of getting going on a project, try out this new routine or think of a new routine that would work for you and really give it a solid shot. Again, I'm not perfect and there are still plenty of days that the guilt creeps in, but with these routines really starting to stick, those days or thoughts are fewer and fewer each day. So moving along for my corrections corner, it's been a hot minute since I jumped on to record here. Whoops. So I basically don't even remember any corrections, but if you're here right now, that means the corrections didn't really mean much to you and you're the real MVP because you're here. So I'm really pumped that you're here. And if you haven't already, please reach out to me and let me know who you are, where you're listening from and why you're listening over at livingsimplelivingfull at gmail.com. Or you can shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Today, I wanted to share with you news about my new brewing process. I had to go back to what I feel like is square one as my alcohol levels have just been, well, just that, alcohol. I produced too much of it in the way that I was brewing with my one gallon glass jars. And so I went to research how in the world I could bring down the levels so that I could sell and finally be classified as a non-alcoholic beverage. Looking online, I found a lot of fermenters. In fact, the variety of different fermenters is pretty overwhelming like brew buckets, unitanks, conical fermenters. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. They're ranging in all different sizes. Like I don't even know where the heck to begin and even how to use them. What did show clearly though right away is that I do not have the funds to buy most of these fermenters without selling my eyeballs in the black market. (laughs) 
we are talking hundreds or even thousands of dollars each for a fermenter. And looking at where I am now in this process, I'm really, really, really close to like sharing a space in a commercial kitchen. But leading up to that time, I still need to get several more licenses and permits and I can't forget I actually need fermenters to brew legal kombucha. So are you registering the dollar signs like I am? Until I have a product to sell, I'm not making profit to put it back into the business for materials like a fermenter. And right now that money is coming out of my bartending tips. I'll just be real. Yeah, I probably should have stayed another year teaching or another job bringing in full-time pay and benefits, but you know what? I freaking went for it. I'm really proud of myself. And even if now I am more on a shoestring budget, it forces me to be that much more creative with where I am and how I come up with funds to buy big things like a fermenter. So going along with that, at the Mead Tap Room that I work at, my boss uh, named Tim, he mentioned that he uses large trays to brew his kombucha in. And he explained to me that the surface area, because it's in a tray, um, it helps to lower the alcohol levels. And I had never heard anything like this before. And I went on the hunt online for more information about these trades of where I could get them. And I came to find out that these types of fermenters are what's known as symbiosis fermenters. And that just like he said, that by shortening the depth and increasing the surface area, the final product is said to have lower alcohol levels. Okay, and the ones he bought, gotta say though, I looked him up, they are a pretty penny, like they're a couple thousand dollars. And after evaluating, I saw that those trays were for really big volumes. And I'm not to that point yet. I'm a home brewer, now turn small microbrewery commercial brewer. I'm not looking to do like 500 gallons or heck, even 50 gallons. I need something like 10 gallons to start with so that I can learn. And it was then that I found this website, it's called The Happy Herbalist, and this business was selling like smaller symbiosis fermenters for a fraction of the cost in seven, as well as 17 gallon size. It's definitely more manageable. And so I sent in my order, and long story short, they were back ordered for a month. So I just got all of these earlier this week. And to be honest, they look like those like kitchen trays that you'd see in school cafeterias. And he simply cut a hole in the place, like uh, in the front of the tray to place a valve on them to voila, make a fermenter. After my husband and I investigated this, he said that he could probably make these same fermenters himself with the right tools for a little bit cheaper, but oh well, they're here. And finally I can start brewing again. So I'm really pumped about that. And I'm definitely not hating on the Happy Herbalist. They have a ton of different um, things for brewing brewers and I've already bought other things from that site so I'm going to link that site below and I'm so thankful that they even offered a symbiosis fermenter in the size I needed so pretty pumped. These symbiosis fermenters are actually quite new to the kombucha industry that I found out. Um, There isn't really a lot of research and there isn't videos like on YouTube demonstrating how to use them that's like my main source of where I go because I like to see live presentations, (laughs) but there's this uh, kombucha company called Bear Bucha based out of Texas that came up with this brewing method and it's now patent pending. And so basically by increasing the surface area, you're also increasing the amount of oxygen available to the brew and the bacteria in the SCOBY with the addition of that more oxygen and it actually increases the bacteria by 400%. And now it can compete with the yeast formation way better and actually reduce it, which yeast is the culprit of producing the alcohol. And so by the end of the first fermentation, your kombucha should be below that 0.5% alcohol consistently. 
So yesterday, I did my first batch of kombucha in these fermenters. It was quite a new challenge for me to figure out how to scale all of my ratios to fit my seven-gallon tray. This is the biggest uh, amount that I've ever brewed before. What happened is I ran out of sugar and I had to wait a really long time for my water purifier to filter. <laughs> but I now have sitting out on my counter a seven-gallon batch that I'm really eager to check on in five days. Another claim that Bear Bucha made is that by increasing the oxygen, your brew time can actually become shorter than a typical ferment of like 7 to 14 days. I'm really excited to report back how it's going. And my next step now is to figure out how to do a secondary ferment. And remember, that's where we add in those flavorings. What's obvious is that by exposing the ferment to sugar which in my case has usually been fruit. And when I limit the oxygen, what I used to do is I would put little pieces of fruit or I would put fruit, fruit puree, excuse me. I would put that in the bottom of my bottles and I would cap it and I limit the oxygen. What happens though is that the yeast is gonna restart that fermentation process again and it's gonna turn up the notch on the alcohol level. This is why I failed before. So what I am now wondering is, I'm gonna try a little hypothesis, okay? If I add fruit, to another symbiosis tray fermenter and I leave it exposed to the oxygen instead of capping it, right? Or like, you know, shutting off all the oxygen um, amounts to it for a few days, if I could still obtain the same flavor that I once had when I was putting it into bottles. Does that make sense? Another idea I saw online was adding flavorings to a keg and sealing it with oxygen inside so that the bacteria could still interact with the yeast but keep the alcohol levels down. Tim said that I could borrow a keg to learn and practice with this, so I'm really curious to see how the final product will turn out. Something else I'm toying with, though, in my mind is eliminating completely sugar, fruit flavorings altogether and exploring more like an herb, spice, and tea combination to bring like a flavor profile that I enjoy. With spices, herbs, and tea, I know that I'm not adding in more sugars, so it makes sense to me that the alcohol levels probably wouldn't rise in a secondary flavoring. So if you're a fellow brewer who has ever used a symbiosis fermenter, I would love to hear your thoughts and how you're using them, especially when it comes to flavoring. And I want to say that symbiosis fermenters are not the best and superior way to brew. As mentioned before, financially, something like this just makes sense to me, as well as the science. Plus, as a microbrewer and living in a small trailer right now, I didn't know where I was going to put such a big piece of brewing equipment, such as like a conical fermenter or a unitank. So perhaps one day in my tap room, I will try out different methods, but for now, I'm really optimistic that I've found a solution that will produce compliant kombucha and get me finally started to sell. Phew, so what is left exactly to sell? I'm really pumped that you asked, huh? I knew you were asking. Guys, we are getting so much closer to the day to selling. I wanted to give you an update where I'm at in this process. And as I mentioned in my last episode, I have found a commercial kitchen space that is close to my home that's actually willing to have me and it's almost finalized. The business owner, he really is a true gem. He's gone to such great lengths to accommodate me, not really knowing who I am. He didn't even know what kombucha was, but he had to like up his insurance to accommodate like another business entity. He's had to put his attorney looking at the lease and contract agreements and making sure that everything is like in place. But hopefully by the end of the week, I'm going to have a contract to review and a start date. We had initially thought about the middle of November, but I need to see what his legal team and business proposes officially. But leading up to getting into a commercial space, which I really hope works out, there were, and really there still are, several things to accomplish. 
Um, one of those was getting a seller's permit and registering my business for taxes. Boom, did that, did it online, sweet, awesome. I also already have my LLC established, my business tax and my business banking account, so I'm good there. That's one less thing I have to worry about. But another key component that I was unaware that I would need to have is my food manager certification. And this certification basically ensures that as someone in a commercial space, especially working around food, I know all food safety, sanitation protocols put in place by the FDA and like local state authorities. And to obtain my certification, I had to take what's called a food manager course online that was like six to eight hours to complete. Yeah, so you know those trains that you can't skip ahead until you have already listened to the whole thing in its entirety? Yeah, one of those trainings makes me not miss those trainings we had to take several times a year in the public schools. You know, bloodborne pathogens, allergies, yay. I mean, not to make fun of those. It's important information, but you take it so many times you already know the answers. Anyway, it was pretty much what you would expect if you were in like a food handling program. Wash your hands was like the main concept with other key components being like how to prevent cross-contamination and safety and storage and maintaining proper temperatures. I would say that like 75% of this course revolved around how to deal with animal products. And from someone who is vegan and planning on opening a vegan plant-based kombucha tap room, it did give me quite a laugh, like a cynical laugh. I'd like to go into why I chose a vegan lifestyle in another podcast episode and how I feel it'll play like a big role into the tap room and its business mission. But for the sake of this episode, I had to share that piece of information because it's funny. I'm not hating on you or mad about the people who develop this course, but I'd love to see in the future some courses that were not really like a one size fits all model as there are many like plant based restaurants out there who don't utilize animal products in the business model. And boy, I am so glad that in living simple living full that I don't really have to deal with any of those uh, pathogens and things that spread directly from animal sources. But I did learn a lot of new things. I will say one thing I definitely did not like is that on the post-test of one of the chapters, in order to move on, you had to drag the food, and I'm putting food in quotation marks because I really don't consider animals to be food, but you had to drag and drop chickens, cows, and fish to the proper skillet with the correct temperature, and when you did it correctly, it would sizzle. Ugh, ugh. My my non-vegan friends, they got a kick out of it and kind of laughed at me when I explained it. I'm not trying to tell you you're a demon for not being vegan, but okay. Was it necessary though? Perhaps you're a coder for like the food manager safety program listening into this podcast episode. Dude, dudette, whoever you are, I would kindly provide you a keg of whatever the heck you want if you change that, okay? And I would in fact name a brew after you, okay? Anyways... I did indeed complete and get my food manager certifications, and now all that's left is the mammoth task of obtaining a retail license. (sighs) I am currently working with my county public health department, submitting all of the paperwork for that. So this includes a hazard safety plan for my entire brewing process, like all the temperatures and everything like that, obtaining what is called a variant since the process of fermentation in itself is considered a specialized process method, making sure my labeling on my bottles is up to code, nutrition facts, and completing an inspection with a health inspector walking him or her through like my brewing process and my sanitation methods in the commercial kitchen space. Huh, yes. And we can't forget, I still need to get my kombucha alcohol tested and approved. (laughs) 
Yes, I can only see dollar bills too, but I can actually say that I'm beginning to see a light at the end of this licensing tunnel. So I actually get this stuff into your hands. But in the meantime, I'll keep brewing. I'll keep making money where I can. And of course, I will share my journey with you all along the way. I'm going to skip my teaching story in this episode because as you can tell, I have a lot to do, but I'm dedicating this episode to my students out there. You know who you are and I am cheersing, cheersing, (laughs) I am cheersing to you to learning something new and never being afraid to go after what you want. I'm very proud of you and I miss you guys. Cheers to all of you listening and I will catch you back next time. Bye. Bye.